Amen. You may be seated, moms, and after the service, we have a lovely rose that we want to give you. It's been dethorned, and uh, you'll be able to walk away and actually enjoy it, all right? I was up at 2 in the morning just ripping those things off. Just kidding. But I want to have a little fun because we're getting a pretty serious issue this morning, talking about culture and parenting and kids. And you're going to find that probably of all the messages I've done this series, it's going to apply to everyone, uh, whether you're a parent or not the most. But uh, I want to have a little fun this morning because, you know, moms, we all need moms, right? Yes. And uh, little boys, for some reason, especially need their mommies, right? Let me hear all the men, right, guys? We need our moms. Why do we need our moms? I have some pictures to show you why. Because sometimes, you know, sometimes we, we just, you know, get a little carried away and we kind of need you to tell us. And what I figure is there's a dad in front of that going, come on, stick it in, look at that picture, right? No mom there. How about this next one? Sometimes we think we're superheroes. We need you to protect us. How about this next one? Sometimes we lose our head. Sometimes we lose our head and we don't know where to find it. Little boys lose things easily. And, you know, you got to help put the head back on, all right? How about this next one? And, uh, you know, sometimes, uh, sometimes little boys get, become older boys and they think they're evil Knievel and they're not. Sometimes the next picture shows little boys think they're evil Knievel. And uh, I figure there's no mom in sight with that picture, all right? But there is a dad who's probably saying, you can do it, son. All right, next picture. Uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes you get hungry in the middle of the night and dad's watching a football game while mom's, you know, doing her thing and, well, okay, mom, you got to keep us out of the refrigerator. It starts early. All right, this next one, sometimes we take a big bite out of life. We need mom to remind us that, uh, you know, a little at a time. And then my favorite one, the last one, you know, sometimes we're just inquisitive, right? And mom needs to come in and say, stop! Don't electrocute yourself. All right. So, boy, thank God for moms, right? The other day, I was on my way to uh, Brookfield Zoo. How many are, yeah, Brookfield Zoo. How many of you have been there? That is a great zoo. I was very impressed by it. Well worth going back to. Sorry it took me so long to get there. My little granddaughter is with me, and as we were walking along, I noticed the signs that would remind you periodically that the creatures you were looking at were endangered species, all right? And then some of them would say, not on the endangered list yet, but could be there if we don't do something. And so I was very inspired to make sure I do the right thing in terms of wildlife, in terms of the environment, because I want these animals to stay around. And I do like animals. I have a little dog and, and like him very much. But as I started thinking about the family this week, I realized, you know, our society cares more for wildlife than we do the most important part of the fabric of our culture, and that is the family. I cannot tell you how important the family is. And I think the family should be at the top of the list these days for most endangered species. You lose the family, you lose the nation. In fact, history reminds us over and over and over again that when the family begins to decline and deteriorate, the nation who has those families, that doesn't care about those families, that's not supporting the the entity of the family, that nation soon faces its own demise. And that's what's happening in your country and my country today. We are a nation that is very quickly abandoning the sacredness, the importance of the family. Now, I want to read to you a quote from Laura Ingram, who wrote a book a couple years ago called Power to the People. She's a journalist and a lawyer, and here's what she said. The American family 
is besieged by a hostile culture, destructive government policies, and our own selfishness. Under attack from all sides, the traditional family is now regarded as just another social arrangement, no better than any other. And I totally agree with what she said, and I disagree with the popular culture that wants to say the family is just another social arrangement. The family is the social arrangement upon which nations are built. If you're single here this morning, don't take offense when I say that, all right? If God's calling you to be single, that's a wonderful thing. But even as a single person, I came out of or am part of a family. Families are so important. And yet we are watching, especially in the Western world, from Europe to Canada to the United States especially, we're watching the family disintegrate and deteriorate. When did that start happening? It didn't happen overnight, folks. That process began in a period of history in the 18th century known as the Enlightenment. How many of you students have come across that word at school? All right, a few of you have, all right? Well, what's the Enlightenment all about? Well, prior to the Enlightenment, people tended to look outside of themselves for truth. For Christians in particular, they would look to God and they would look to the Bible. And so much of Europe at one time had a real Christian influence. Look to God, look to the Bible. But then something began to shift and change. During the Enlightenment, there were certain thinkers, intellectuals in various disciplines, sadly to say even in religion, who said, you know what, I don't think we need to look outside of ourselves for truth. We can look inside of ourselves for truth. And so you have some characters like a guy named Immanuel Kant, a philosopher who said, truth is found in the mind, in the rational thought. We don't need God. Let's just look to our own thinking. We can think our way into utopia. And then you have people like uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau who said, well, truth is found in the heart. And we can find, we can find truth in our feelings and our emotions. And he advocated that children are born w- with innocence in their lives. And by the way, he had five kids and eventually disowned them all. I guess he found out that his dream was not true. Or you have a guy by the name of Friedrich Nietzsche, a philosopher, who said that truth is found in your will. You will the truth. Whatever I will becomes the truth. It may not be your truth, but it certainly is my truth, and you are not to, you know, you're not to attack my truth. And uh, he is the man who became famous for the phrase, God is dead, and his most ardent follower was Adolf Hitler. So these were, were evil men in a sense, because they're falling into the same sin that Adam fell into the garden. Do you remember when, the saint, when Satan came and tempted Adam? What did he say to him? He said, you can be your own what? You can be your own God. You don't need to look outside of yourself to God anymore as your origin. Look to yourself and you will be your own truth. And we have struggled with that sin ever since. And all of us to some degree in our own lives struggle with that same deal of wanting to be our own God. But when a society decides together, or the elite of a society decide that they are going to be their own God, it's a dangerous thing. And so these men and those like him during the Enlightenment period planted a seed that we now see really starting to grow and take off. A couple years ago, I planted a little maple in my backyard. I am amazed how fast that thing has grown. In the last couple years, it just seems to all of a sudden found some new energy, and it has really shot up and spreading its beautiful leaves around. 
That's the same thing that happened with this little seed that I'm going to call secularism. The seed of secularism was planted. Os Guinness, a Christian thinker, tells us that secularism is the process by which truth, religious truth, religious interpretation, and religious ideas no longer have any influence on the culture or society. In other words, secularism is when God and the Word of God no longer has any kind of influence anymore on the way we live life, the way we do life, the way we view things like marriage and sexuality and, and issues like that. And we see secularism just growing really fast in our nation. If you want to know what it looks like when it ravages a nation, look at Europe and look at Canada. Because you will see the consequences of it there. And it is really starting to take form here. And what boggles, what boggles my mind is that we're just letting it happen. And we're seeing secularism quickly replace the values that we once held. So a couple of months ago, did you see that article in the Newsweek magazine? Right on the cover, here's what it said. The decline and fall of Christian America. How many of you saw that in the newsstands? All right? Just this whole idea that secularism is taking the place of, of what was once a, 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 a nation founded on the principles of the scriptures and on the conviction of a greater being who we know of as, as God. And now that's kind of being shunned and kind of being tossed aside as no longer really relevant. The sad thing is all you have to do is study history and see the tragedy of it. That when nations, when groups of people decide that they're going to turn their back against God and ignore his truth and create truth themselves, they are doomed to failure. They utterly fail. It's like we can't learn our lesson from that. It's like our pride won't let us. It's like we're insistent on thinking and believing that we can do it. And so there's an elite mindset amongst many world rulers today that they can somehow usher in. And this is not, this is not the stuff of, uh, of fiction. This is not the stuff of, of far-out Christian groups saying this. This is our world leaders now beginning to talk about a new world order. That past... Uh, attempts at it in socialism or communism or whatever failed because those folks weren't smart enough or they were too violent. But the world has no choice now. We will bring in a new world order. And I wonder what God thinks of it. And I thought of Psalm 2. Take your Bibles out if you have them. And uh, turn to, uh, it's like page 384 in your, in your chair Bible there. But listen to these words. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain. Like God's saying, why are they doing this? Why are they, why are they coming up with their plans in ancient times and modern times? The kings of the earth or the presidents or prime ministers uh, rise up and rulers band together, right? We'll do this arm in arm against the Lord and against his anointed saying, now, how do modern kingdoms do that when they contradict the moral values of Scripture? That's how they band against God, though they may not say this is against you, God. Many of them don't believe in God. Verse 3, they say, let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. You know, we're not going to be bound by, by God's definition of sexuality. We're not going to be bound by what God has to say about marriage. We're not going to be bound by what God has to say about the economy. And you could list it all down there. Verse 4, the one enthroned in heaven laughs. The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath, saying, I've installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain. I will proclaim the Lord's decree. He said to me, you are my son today. I become your father. Ask me and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. 
You will break them with a rod of iron. He's talking about the Lord now. You will dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings, be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth, presidents and prime ministers and kings, you fill it in the blank. Serve the Lord with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss the sun or he will be angry and you and your ways will be destroyed. Listen to this. For his wrath can flare up in a moment. God can take a nation down in a moment. When God's had enough with North America, if God wants in a moment, he can use other nations, he can use other things to bring us down in a moment. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. I wish our leaders, our politicians and our leaders and our academic leaders, I wish they would read the scripture and practice it. Because if you watch what's going on in our culture right now, folks, there's an arrogance and not a humility. There's a, there's a sense that, that, you know, man, that we can solve this and not a sense of repentance that we've moved away from God and we need to correct the morals and we need to correct our waywardness and get back to God. We are long past that, aren't we? And I'm not trying to be a pessimist. I'm just being a realist. That's where we are as a, as a world and as a culture these days. And I'm going to predict that two things are going to happen, and you watch carefully. I'm not, a sh- I'm not saying it, it's going to happen tomorrow, but I think we're on our way toward it, and I'll tell you why in a moment. I think, first of all, one of the things that you're going to see happen in our culture is you're going to, you and I are going to see our rights uh, diminishing. You and I are going to lose more and more of our rights. Now, here's why. If secularism is to be enthroned, if it's to be man's way and not God's way, if we're to shun the word and the ways of God then you have to have someone fill the vacuum. We talked about that last December. And that becomes, oftentimes becomes government. All right? It has to be, kind of take over. And the attitude that's, the, that's out there right now amongst the elite, and it's been there for years, not just this administration, but for years, it's been that you and I, generally speaking, are too stupid. And, and we need somebody brighter than us to kind of manage us, and the way they want to do it is to take away our rights to protect us. Coupled to that is you're going to see increasing intolerance of Christianity. Why? Because true Christianity, pure Christianity says, I will bow down to God and I will, I will submit to his word. I'll respect my authorities, but ultimately I respect God and his word. Well, when a culture says we're going to have values that contradict God's word, what do you do with that then? You become intolerant toward God's word. You dumb down Jesus, and that's happening in our culture. It's been happening for years, folks, where books are being written and and movies are being made, all with the idea of kind of dumbing down Jesus and making him kind of like the rest of us. I mean, Jesus, you know, had an affair with Mary Magdalene, and, you know, that kind of stuff's being spread all the time until people think, well, that must be true, because we live in such an ignorant society. So in higher academics, in colleges, even all the way down to high school and government, all, all the mindset, all the propaganda that's coming out is very anti-God and very anti-values of the Scriptures. And I don't have my head in, my, in the sand when I say that. That's the reality. You see it and you hear it all day long. You say, Dale, how can the culture make that quick a change? How can we become, how can that just happen? How, how will anybody tolerate all that? I want to suggest to you uh, that the way it happens is, is they dope us up. You say, man, you, what are you, where are you on this morning? What do you mean dope us up? 
Uh, the opiate of our culture today is sensuality. The opiate of the culture is sensuality. Now, here's what I mean by that. When the emperors of Rome wanted to control the Romans, what they did is they got wise enough and they built a coliseum and they entertained the people and fed them cheap bread. And as long as the people were entertained, as long as they were hooked on being entertained by violence and bloodshed, then the leaders could pretty much do what they want. Now, I don't think our leaders are that smart, but I do think the enemy, the unseen enemy, is very smart. Ephesians chapter 6. And I think a lot of what you and I see happening in our culture right now is demonically inspired, and the leaders are just the puppets. But if you can get a nation hooked on sensuality, on immorality, on the titillation of their feelings, then you've got them. Say, Dale, what does that have to do with parenting and kids this morning? Here's the deal. These kids and all the other youth who are around here and our young adults, they are in the crosshairs of sensuality. The enemy is after them. He wants to change their minds. He wants to change their values. Because if he can get them, then he has their generation, and then he turns us all upside down. Do you follow what I'm saying? And so he is pressing hard against them. And I want to talk primarily this morning of how he's doing it through the media. And I want you to think about this not just in terms of a, of a parent and, and a son or a daughter, but whoever you are this morning, single, married, married with kids, married without kids, it doesn't matter to me. This applies big time to each of us individually and especially to parents and kids. Now I want to read to you a, a, a quote by, to me, one of the great Christian thinkers of our day, Dr. Robbie Zacharias. And, and I want you to listen to what he says. He says, the ideas and personalities that the media thrusts upon our imaginations subtly condition our consciousness in ways that even political totalitarianism cannot accomplish. Let's stop there for a minute. Here's what Robbie's saying. He's saying dictators, when they come to power, strive to control the masses. What he's saying is the media does that in a way that would make those dictators envious. By, by shoving and pushing these images and our minds continuously, it sends a message to us. It captures our imagination, and it becomes a method of control. It says, we are unavoidably beguiled, that means tricked or deceived, in this so-called postmodern world to an unprecedented degree. In other words, there's never been anything like it before. The constant bombardment of images shapes the perceptions of a whole generation. Our young people today our children and our grandchildren, and results in altered beliefs, altered from what many of us grew up with and many of us believe in, and lifestyles far different than what we were taught was a proper lifestyle, and makes even the aberrant or the aberrant, however you want to pronounce that word, the devious normal. To, to aberrate or to speak of aberrant means to, to, uh, to deviate from a true standard. And so now things that we would have before looked at and said, oh, we would never talk about that, like two men getting married or two women getting married, we would look at that and we'd go, that's duh, you know, that's wrong. Now that's being foreseen as what? As normal or right. And Robbie says that's what's happening to us. I want to talk about television for just a moment and how Television is changing our culture and has, has become like the loudspeaker for this mindset of sensuality. 
The average young person in the United States today will watch 30 hours of television a week. That's almost a full-time job, isn't it? You add in video games and the constant images that are going on there, I can see how it can be 30 hours a week very easily. Listen carefully. Most, not all, but most of what's coming at them at that age level through that kind of programming they're watching is sexual, violent, and rebellious. If for 20 to 30 hours a week you're seeing sexual images boom, 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 boom at you and violence and a rebellious kind of message coming through, it can't help but affect you. Secular studies have proven, listen carefully, have proven that the more sexual activity young people observe on television, it accelerates their desire to participate it in their own life. That's, that shouldn't take rocket science to figure that one out, right? The more I see something, the more I hear something, the more I watch something, it causes me to want to say, wow, that looks fun, that looks good, that looks enjoyable. I want to participate in that too. A study done by Dartmouth College, not a Christian institution, says this. Dartmouth researchers found that approximately 22 million of America's young people between the ages of 10 and 14 have viewed one or more restricted films. That means rated R. And by the way, rated R today is not the same as rated R when I was 17. Okay? Rated R today. There's PG stuff today that was rated R when I was a kid. All right? So I don't, you can't trust the rating system. The most alarming numbers were recorded for the film Scary Movie with an estimated 48%, 10 million of the same age group having viewed the film despite the restricted rating. Now here's what blows my mind. It blows my mind how many parents just don't think or give a rip about what their kids are watching on TV or what they're watching on DVD or at the movies. I don't get it. Christian parents who like, don't get it. Who don't get it. Who don't. We just let it happen as though, it's, as, as though their kid is impervious to having it affect them. It is going to affect them. The founder of MTV, uh, Bob Pittman, has a quote after he founded MTV, which is very, you know, actually that MTV is getting old style now. You've got VH1 and a few others that are out there. But it, it sends a lot of wrong imagery and long mess- uh, wrong messages. Here's what he said. Bob Pittman said, they don't just watch it talk about kids. They live it. If you can get their emotions, make them forget their logic, you've got them. Folks, that is the mindset, generally speaking, in our culture that I was talking about, the opiate called sensuality. You can hook a person's emotions, adult or a young person, you can make them stop thinking logically, and they start living by their feelings, and we are all very, very, very um, uh, vulnerable to being led by our feelings and not logic. For many of us, our feelings run our lives, right? I struggle with it. Oh, so I had my quiet time yesterday. I thought, God, you know, Friday was not a good day for me. I was a real grump Friday. Anybody else a grump person on Friday besides me? Maybe it was like the sun or moon and it's, you know, okay, it was just me. All right. Anyway, uh, you know, and I thought, God, you know, I blew it Friday. Why did I blow it? I allowed my feelings to run my life. Add sensuality to it and you're in big trouble. There's a website I came across, by the way, that you might want to jot down for yourself as a young person, as a parent, as individuals, called screenit.com. I mean, what you can do is you go on screenit.com, and it's people who are very family-sensitive, family-friendly, who have looked at all those movies and will tell you what's coming, what you're going to see, what you're going to experience, so you can make a better decision whether you ought to be looking at it or not. 
Next weekend, I'm going to talk a whole lot more proactively about how to overcome some of these things. But I want to change the subject now from television to magazines. You know, there are a lot of magazines out there that are aimed toward kids. And uh, there was a day, I suppose, when a lot of these magazines were about uh, articles on um, fashion or entertainment. But now these magazines sell a different message. They sell a message about lifestyle, promiscuous lifestyle, alternative lifestyles. And these kids are able to read it, and when they read it, it's presented as though it were the norm. How many of you are still with me? All right. How many of you have not? You've taken a nap, you're asleep. Just kidding, all right? Stay with me, okay? All right? Somebody was honest over here at least, all right? Stay with me. Um, I went to a bookstore just recently, and uh, I picked up the uh, uh, magazine written for young women called Seventeen. Okay? I felt a little silly doing it, okay? And, you know, I, I just copy it in my hand, and I go to the cafe, right? And I'm reading it, and I'm thinking, what if somebody from church is here? And they're like... <laughs> They're like, I think that's Dale, and why, why is he reading 17, okay? Now, 17 is aimed toward young women, young teenage women, young adult women. It, way too many ads in it trying to sell all kinds of stuff, but I came across a couple of articles. One of the articles was on hooking up. How many of you know what hooking up means? Let me see your hands, all right? How many of you do but don't want to admit it? Let me see your hands. Okay, all right, all right. Hooking up is uh, not like plugging your toaster in, okay? Uh, uh, hooking up is getting together a guy and a girl, right? A guy and a guy and a girl and a girl these days. And uh, this article was about, for girls, all right, how to hook up with guys. It had this profound insight that I'm sure no girl's ever thought about before. It just said, if you really want to hook up with a guy, get physical. Duh. All right? All right any girl that gets physical with a guy, it, it won't be long and they'll be hooking up. Okay? Right? And, and that's just like right out there. And then it went on, it, it talked about how to become a better kisser, and whoa, way too much information on that one. I mean, way graphic verbally, it was, ugh, all right? So I, I'm, I'm moving through that, and then I get to a section on summer love stories. I thought, well, okay, kids sharing, you know, their crushes or whatever. And I read through several sick ones, you know, and, and it's uh, written by girls, come with their perspective, right? And then I get to the last one written by a 20-year-old girl who describes fairly graphically her first lesbian experience. This is in 17. For any teenager to open up and read. Now, here's the deal. It was all presented as norm. Do you know what I mean? There's no shock value to it. It's like, and here's my first experience of hooking up with another girl so imagine your 10 year olds paging through that thing or your 8 year old or your 15 year old or your 17 year old or whatever and they read that that's a lot i mean very very powerful very potent stuff and by the way it had a section on unwanted pregnancies and it had solutions abortion adoption or keep the child and they had an article about a girl who kept the child and the way the article was written you would think she's the most miserable person on earth because it's really cramped her style But this is the actual ad on abortion. Here's what it said. All right? Abortion is a safe, common, legal medical procedure that can be performed in a clinic like Planned Parenthood or at your doctor's office. You can take a pill that will terminate the pregnancy or have a surgical procedure. As it just presents it like very easy to do. Don't talk about the moral implications. Don't talk about what it does to you psychologically and emotionally. And by the way, if you're here and ever had an abortion, I want you to know that God loves you and does forgive you. But you and I both know the pain it caused way beyond the physical aspects, right? The haunting that takes place there. It's not presented that way. So our kids read that stuff. And here's the other thing I observed. A lot of magazines that are at kid level 
should not be at kid level. They're not the pornographic magazines that we hear about in the news or think about, Playboy and that kind of stuff. These are magazines, and I won't give you their name because I don't want you to go checking them out, that your kids can walk up to, and the, ki- and the audience that walks up to those magazines, I read one author, is the 10 to 14-year-old audience. And they're opening up these periodicals. They are being shown very uh, provocative pictures, and they're reading stories that are equally provocative. And it's so accessible to our kids. How about music today? Don't, don't be offended. I, I like music. I like Christian, non-Christian music, all right? But a lot of music that kids are listening today in all of its genres that are being presented, it's just music about sex. It's music about violence. And it's, it's, um, it's music about rebellion, a lot of music, especially in certain genres, hip-hop, rap, and a lot of that music is down on girls, down on women. They make women out to be just like prostitutes, tools, rag dolls to be used and abused. And dads, of all people, you and I should put our foot down and not tolerate that. Because my daughter is not some prostitute. My daughter is not some easy make for some guy. But when guys see women presented that way and hear it that way all the time, they begin to think about girls that way. And when girls subject themselves to hearing it that way, they begin to behave that way. So one celebrity said, I, my goal in life, one celebrity said, my goal in life is to tell girls that they can have sex when they want. It's okay to be a slut. And I won't give you her name. That's the mindset that's out there. Now, it may be for shock value. It may be for someone to read her article or see her picture, but it's wrong. Role models. How about role models in the culture today? I know there's some good ones out there, but I rarely see them. Instead, paraded before us on AOL and everything else, on the news, on television, on entertainment news, whatever it is, instead we see fools paraded in front of us, half clothed or not clothed, saying the most foolish, unimaginable things that you you could come up with. And when that's all you ever hear, pretty soon you begin to think, well, that must be how life is. That must be how I'm supposed to behave and act. And when you're 10 or 12 or 14 or even 15 or 17, you're not real mature, it's very easy to say, well, I guess that's life. That's how I'll live. That's all I think of. That's all I'll act. How about the Internet? I think the Internet is a great thing. I use it. It's helpful when I'm doing research, things like that. But the Internet is a dangerous thing. I want to talk about MySpace, Facebook, and texting for just a minute. Do you know that you can go to MySpace or Facebook? How many of you know what those are? Let me see your hands. Okay? Almost everybody does. Those of you who don't, it's a social networking system. Right? And you can post your picture up there and how you're feeling at 2 a.m. in the morning or 1.55 in the afternoon, like anybody cares. At least I don't. But anyway, you got all that stuff going on up there. You can put pictures of yourself. And uh, I, I have an alias on uh, Facebook to keep up with uh, a couple of my kids, one in particular, and, uh, who are very, you know, very much media savvy, right? And, and so I get to see them, their friends, and all the other people. And uh, I am amazed at what people want to tell about themselves. I'm amazed what girls want to reveal about themselves. I'm amazed the pictures girls will put up about themselves. I'm amazed that a girl wants to put 140 pictures of herself on a website. I'm thinking, wow, talk about insecure. I've got to have 140 pictures of myself, okay? I'm amazed at parents who would let their girls put that on their websites. I'm amazed at Christian parents who allow that. And some of those Christian parents I'm talking about are close to me. I'm just amazed. I'm like, I don't get it. 
But here's the deal. I can go to Facebook, I can go to uh, MySpace, and I can type in Britney Spears, I can type in Amy Winehouse, I can type in any number of names of celebrities, and I can go to their page and I can see pornography. I can see them scantily dressed. And it's just very accessible to me. It's a social networking tool that mom and dad thinks I'm using, and boy, I could use it for a lot of other things. How about texting? It got really quiet. How about texting? There's a new term now, now called sexting, S-E-X-T-I-N-G. How many of you have heard that term? I mean, you don't want to admit you've heard that term, all right? It's out there. What, what are kids doing with sexting? They're sending nude pictures of themselves or other kids to each other, all right? So you get girls on there who are trying to be a little provocative, a little scantily dressed, and they send that to some guy who sends it then to a whole bunch of other guys, and one of those guys happens to be a weirdo, happens to be a stalker. He's watching a lot of pornography. She's an easy make, and he decides he's going to score. You see how it works? It can start out so innocently on on behalf of the kid just trying to get some attention, but we're a nation so full of perverts today because of our loose moral standard and the media that it's a dangerous, dangerous thing to put it out there. Am I right? I'm right. But here's the deal. As parents, we get lazy about it, man. We just get really lazy about it. We just let it happen. We assume that everything's going to be all right. It only takes your kid once to be raped. It only takes your kid once to be abducted. It only takes once for your your kid to be hurt emotionally or spiritually or physically. Why wait till it has to happen? Next weekend, we're going to be very proactive. We're going to talk to you about how to create a filtering system for your family, how to handle the Internet, how to set the guidelines down as a parent. And, and it's going to be applicable for you if you're not a parent because I think a lot of singles struggle with the things I'm talking about too. So you don't want to miss next weekend as we seek to be a people of destiny, living holy lives in an unholy world. But as I close, I want to read just one more time Robbie's quote. And I want you to listen to what he says. The ideas and personalities that the media thrusts upon our imagination subtly condition our consciousness in ways that even political totalitarianism cannot accomplish. We are unavoidably beguiled in the so-called postmodern world to an unprecedented degree. The constant bombardment of images shapes the perceptions of a whole generation, results in altered beliefs and lifestyles that make even the aberrant seem normal. Chinese proverb says, never ask a fish what water is. Why? Because it lives in the water all the time. Can't tell you what it is. It would have to live outside of the water and survive long enough to know the difference between water and dry land. And then it would be able to say to you, well, water is wet and water is this and water is that. You and I are living in a culture where very quickly our young people can't tell you what's wrong with the culture because it's so much a part of who they are. Where once, if I were to mention same-sex marriage, people would freak out, faint, and fall over, and couldn't imagine it happening in America today. It's common language. What's the big deal? Man wants to marry a man, let him marry a man. A woman wants to marry a woman, let her marry a woman. Follow what I'm trying to say? There's no shock value anymore. There's no, <gasps> anymore. It's like, yeah, that's life. That's where we live. And that is when the kettle starts to boil and the frog dies. And that's where we live. But I love the words of Joshua, where, which is where I'm going to pick up next weekend. Joshua chapter 24, 15. He was living in some pretty weird times as well, surrounded by Canaanites and immorality of all sort. In Joshua chapter 24, verse 14, he says, Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River in Egypt. And serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, Joshua says, as for me and my household, it's like he's laying down the stake. As for me and my household, we are going to serve God. Can you say that about your household? Will you say that about your household? I hope so. Because the world right now needs you and me to live according to this standard. Because so many people out there don't like what they're seeing happening. They sense something's wrong, but they don't know there's an alternative. And praise God, we have a chance to share that alternative. It's Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, I want you to stand. I don't want you to leave unless you absolutely have to, please. I want us to sing this song of conviction that Jeremy's going to come and lead us in. It's the very first song we heard as the service started today. So let's all stand. And Lord, as we're standing this morning... I pray and ask God that we will sing into reality this song, this scriptural song, that as for me and my household, me and my life, I'm going to live, we're going to live according to your word and your truth. In Jesus' name, amen.